God encourages his prophets not to be afraid of their faces. Now I don't have to be. I can't see you. You're all a blur. Uh (laughs) I do want to start out by saying I am thankful for our mothers. Uh, It is Mother's Day. Now, it is a it is not a religious holiday, uh, but it is a holiday that uh, dates back to 1911, I believe it was, uh, and, uh, where uh, they, they, the president at the time declared that uh, we should honor the hard work and the, uh, of our mothers. And the truth is, they, de- they deserve to be honored. Um, they honored them all the way back in Bible days. Proverbs 31 is about a mother. And uh, if I remember correctly, uh, it was part of the Ten Commandments were to honor our father and mother. And uh, so I, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for my mom uh, and for the godly influence that she was on my life and the blessing that she has been to me. And uh, we do want to honor that. Now, that being said, um, my wife reminded me today was Mother's Day um, and to, to make sure I had a message for Mother's Day. Uh, so that, so uh, today we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about a woman who's unnamed in the Bible. Uh, We've read about her. We're going to go back over and look at that text again. Uh, But we're going to talk about a mother's greatest work and her greatest asset. Uh, Our mothers work harder than anybody that I know. My wife, my mother, uh, they do more work than I do, on any given day, and I, and I don't—I don't mean to say that I'm lazy, uh, though my wife might say that. I'm just kidding. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, moms work hard. A mother's work is never done. Uh, let's, just be, let's just be honest. It's uh, uh, from the moment that she gets up in the morning to the moment she goes to bed at night. It's nonstop, and it doesn't mean that I don't help or uh, or that other husbands don't help. Though there, are, I'm sure there are husbands that don't. But a mother's work is is never. Done. It's a, it's it's. There's a constant love and determination that causes her to do so much. And as I stop and think about the, all the things that my wife does for my children and all the things that my mother did for me, again, I I I I'm, I, I can honestly say that I am blessed beyond measure, um, and and I'm thankful for that. Um, and, I, and and there's so much on a mother's plate in preparing and take care taking care of and providing for uh, her children, and 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 take care taking care of the home and. And, 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 and blessing uh, those kids, especially when they're homeschooled and teaching them and, and those, those things that are done at home. It's, it's a lot of work. And what I found over the years is that many times we prioritize the wrong things, uh, especially in our culture today. In our culture today, uh, motherhood is not prioritized. Now, I'm not saying that having a career is, is, is bad at all. That's not what I'm trying to say. But our culture today would downplay the motherhood and, and the stay-at-home mom. Uh, the, and and I, I, I want to encourage those mothers that stay at home. I want to encourage those mothers that, that, that even the, those that have to work, that, you're, that your work at home, that your work at, at helping to rear your children is not the lesser thing. It isn't. In fact, God gave mothers before God gave careers. Your children are the greatest priority 
in your life. And we, as we look at this text this morning, uh, we, we're going to see a woman, and we're going to look at her, her, her greatest priority. We're going to look at her, we're going to look at, 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 the, at the problem that she was facing and, and, and the greatest work that she did. And, and again, the greatest work, that she had much to do as a mother, but the greatest work was not in what she physically did for her kids. We're going to see in a moment the greatest work that a woman can do for her children is to pray for them. And listen, you don't have to have little children to do that. I'm thankful that my mom didn't stop praying for me when I was little. Because there was a period of time when I, I, I ran away from God and I ran away from the church. And I have a, a mother and a father and a church back home in Ohio that every single Wednesday night my name was brought up before the church. Will you pray for my son? There's a reason that I'm here today. It's because there were people that were praying for me. I, have, I had a mother who didn't just wait until Wednesday to pray for me, or the, the weekly prayer meeting, but she prayed for me every single day. And, and she prayed that God would do something that she couldn't do. And that's really the, 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 the greatest work that any mother can do. You can feed your children. You can clothe your children. You can rear your children. You can teach your children. But only, the, only thing that, the, the, the greatest thing that matters in that child's life is not the, what happens on the outside. Those things are necessary, and those things are good. The greatest thing that you can do for your children, ladies, is, is to pray for your kids. Because what you're doing when you're praying is you're taking a, a need that you can't that you can't take care of, and you're bringing it to the one who can. So let's look at this unnamed woman here in Matthew chapter 15. It says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. O, o Lord, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, if the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole that very hour. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this, for your word. And God, I thank you for your spirit. Lord, without your spirit, we would not be able to understand your word. Lord, it would be only a book for us to read. While it's a powerful book, Lord, the power is in what the spirit when the Spirit opens our eyes of understanding. So God, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning. I pray that you would open our ears, that we would, that, that, that they would, that this people, Lord, even myself, would hear not just my words, Lord, not my words at all, in fact. Lord, I, I ask that they would hear what you would have to say to us this morning. I pray that you would do a work uh, today that, uh, that only you can do. Lord, I, I, Lord, I honestly admit there's nothing that I can do here that is of any profit or of any any benefit lord so i ask that you would do the work that needs to be done i pray that you're glorified and honored and all that's done and all that's said lord i pray that anything that would not be of you lord you keep my mouth shut and keep it out of my my mind that i wouldn't even think of it father i i pray that uh, you would have complete control this morning and that you would be blessed and honored and lord if there's one here today that's never trusted in christ 
I pray that today would be that day. I pray that you would work in hearts. Lord, that you would encourage our mothers, strengthen our mothers. Lord, even challenge us and help us to grow in our faith. Lord, we thank you for all you've done. In Christ, we pray. Amen. Here in Matthew chapter 15, we meet a woman. Now, there's a few things we need to learn about this woman. One, she's a mother. She's coming to Jesus, and she's talking to him about her daughter. Now, uh, we'll get into it in a, in a moment, but her daughter uh, is possessed by a devil. And now, she's not a Jewish woman. This is something that's very important for us to understand. She's not a Jew. Uh, here it says that she comes from the coast of Tyre and Sidon. In Mark chapter 7, it's the, uh, um, is, is a, another uh, account of the same incident, and it says that uh, she's a Syrophoenician woman. Now, it, the, the country of Tyre and Sidon is not a, or the town of Tyre and Sidon, those, those, those cities, it's a region uh, where Canaanites live, Gentiles live. Uh, they, they weren't Jews. In fact, if you go all the way back into the book of Joshua, you see that, uh, that, that, that Joshua chapter 19, verse 29, it refers to Tyre as a strong city. When they, went into, when they went into the promised land, the Israelites were told to, 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 to uh, overthrow and to cast out all the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all the other ites, right? Uh, they were to get rid of them all, but they didn't. They left some behind. And Tyre and Sidon were, were some of those towns. So the, uh, uh, they, uh, they were considered, a, a, it was mentioned as a strong city. Why? Because they were unable to overthrow it. They were unable to, to chase them out. In fact, they left them there. So these Canaanites were there. Uh, they, uh, they, they were there, and they were kind of a, a thorn in the flesh of, of the people of Israel all throughout the, uh, those early years, uh, those early generations. And, and here they still are. It was a, a place where they worshipped other gods, and they, 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 uh, denounced, they denounced the God of the Jews. They, they, they began to intermarry with uh, some of the Jews, and, which was a sin in the eyes of God. And, and there was a lot of trouble that came from these, this, this area. In fact, in, in, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 11, he's, he's talking about a, a, a certain town who had rejected the miracles, and he said, Woe unto uh, Chorazon, uh, for if the, the, the miracles, uh, those things that have been done there in the preaching that had taken place there had happened in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. It was, it was a place that, that needed repentance. It was a place that needed God, but it was a place that rejected God for many years. So here comes this Syrophoenician woman, this, this uh, Gentile woman who, who's not a Jew, and she's coming to Jesus. Uh, but I want you to notice, first of all, her priority. Uh, uh, her priority, I can guarantee you as a mother that she had a lot going on. Am I, moms, am I right? Do you have a lot going on? I know my wife does. It's, she's nonstop. She's busy. She's between running a business, between taking care of her kids, between, between with uh, homeschooling our kids, and, and all. Man, she just, it's nonstop. There's always something more to go on. And, and, and it was the same way with my mom when I was a kid. Every mother has a lot of things going on. And, and I, I, while I'm thankful for all that, and I understand that, uh, that, uh, that those things uh, become busy, there was a priority for her. See, I have a feeling laundry still had to be done, right? And so didn't the, so didn't the, the food preparation and the cooking. And, the, and back then, they, they didn't have microwaves and ovens, and, and you couldn't order out on Uber Eats and do all those other things. There was no pizza you could dial up and have them. They, you had to go out, and, and you had to, to, to make those things and start the fire and all the other things that had to take place. There was a lot of things going on in a woman's life. 
And while all those things were going on, her priority wasn't those other things. Her priority was her children. Specifically, this daughter who was possessed. Now, we don't know if she had other children, but we do know that this child and this child's problem was her priority. So much so that when, when she found out that Jesus was in the area, was in the region, she left it all behind. And she even left her daughter at home, as probably in the care of somebody else. And, and, and she went after Jesus Christ to, to, to seek his help. Now, just think about this for a second. She's, she's a... She's a, a a Gentile woman who, who who's lives in a city, who's rejected God, uh, who's, who's never even followed God. But now she's going to the one who can help her. She's, she's come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Something tells me she may have tried other things. Right? She's probably tried, my, my, I'm assuming here, the Bible doesn't tell us, but my guess is, especially where she's made this a priority on this day, she has tried everything else. Because her child is a priority. We live in a culture today where they don't, we don't prioritize uh, our, our children. Now, I'm not saying that, that, uh, uh, that uh, no mothers prioritize their children. I'm saying our culture doesn't prioritize our children. Uh, what's, the, what's the saying now? It takes a village to raise a family. No. It takes a mom and dad. It doesn't take a village. It's not the, it is not the school system's responsibility to teach our children to be good and to listen. But how many children go to school and that's what they're expected to be taught? Our school teachers are nodding their head, yes. They, oh, it, isn't, it isn't our school teachers' responsibility to teach our children how to listen and to have manners and how to eat. That's our parents' responsibility. And listen, when I say parents, I don't mean just the mom. By the way, in fact, if you read it in the Bible, it says the, the father is responsible, is responsible for the teaching. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 uh, is written to the fathers and how they're to teach and the, up, the, in the going up and the sitting down and the, and the walking through the day. Listen, uh, it is our job to teach our children. It should be our number one priority. And there's, today there are so many things that distract us. There are so many things that pull us away. There are so many things even that entertain us and take up our time that, 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 that sadly, we don't prioritize our children. Her priority was her daughter. Now, notice the plea, notice her plea here in verse 15. It says, Then Jesus went thence, departed from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan came out, uh, came out from the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. First, uh, she has a diligent spirit. Uh, she, she's she's, she's uh, working hard to, to, to find an answer. She's coming to the only one now who can help. She's, again, I believe she's tried other things, if not everything. And she's, she's, she's coming to Christ because she heard that this one, this, this man, that in fact, she may have even seen or heard of some of the miracles that he had already performed. And she says, maybe he can do something. Maybe he can help in my situation. So she diligently followed after him. In fact, if you read through this, she didn't, uh, she's rebuffed by Christ, which is, un, which is not normal when we think of Christ. Uh, normally when we think of Christ, when somebody would come to him, he, they would say, Lord, heal me. Lord, help me. Lord, do this. And he always did it right away. 
because he's known as a compassionate, and we know him as compassionate. We know him as one who doesn't turn, turn anybody away. We know him as one who loves, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. We know him as, as one who does all those things. So, so here when we see that he answered her not a word, when he, when he told her that, that, he came only for the, that he came first to the lost sheep of Israel and that, uh, that the, do, the, the dogs uh, weren't to, to eat from off the, the, the master's table, uh, that must have hurt. And it doesn't resonate with us as we think about that. But there's, I believe there's a real reason for it, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But she didn't let that stop her. She pursued. She was diligent. She said, no, no, please, my daughter needs your help. She had a diligent spirit. No sort of desperate situation. It said that her daughter, <coughs> her daughter was grievously vexed with the devil. The word vexed means, uh, was, means that, she was, uh, that she wasn't just having a bad day or throwing a temper tantrum. She wasn't just uh, 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 rebellious. Uh, what it means was that she was possessed by uh, a, a, a demon, uh, that d- devil that's mentioned. But it uses the word grievously vexed. It wasn't just a, uh, your typical problem with your kids. We've all got kids. We've all had kids who acted out and, and were rebellious and, and told us no. And in fact, when kids first learn the word no, it seems like it's their favorite word for a while uh, until they, they find their, their, their limits or what they're allowed to do and what they can get away with. And listen, it's important for us to teach them those limits early. But, but I want you to understand that wasn't the problem here. The problem was that there was a spiritual, this was a spiritual issue. And listen, when there's a spiritual issue in a, in a child's life, there is, no, there is no instruction that can fix it. It's not something that could have been taught. There's no therapist you could take that child to who would have, who would have walked them through the, the situation and helped them to overcome it. This was a spiritual issue. And listen, if you have a spiritual issue, guess what? You need a spiritual answer. The answer wasn't in any of the gods or any of the temples that she worshipped at before. The, the issue couldn't have been answered by any of the physicians that were there that day. There was a reason why she came to Christ, because a spiritual issue needed a spiritual answer. This was a desperate situation. She had tried everything she could think of, and nothing would work. That's why she came to Jesus Christ. He was, she was grievously vexed. It means, that means uh, badly, uh, uh, terribly vexed with this devil. And we don't know what it, what it did or how it controlled her. Uh, uh, we read of others who, uh, who were possessed by devils who would cast themselves into the fire and, and would be burned. Uh, those, uh, when, uh, that's, that demonic possession is, 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 is real, by the way. It's not just something that we read about in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that, uh, that, that, uh, that I've ever had to cast out devils. Uh, I, I'm not saying that I've ever done that. I will say that I believe that there are times when I have met people who were demonically possessed. There was a, a patient that I had years ago it, 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 as an as a EMT. I was going through my paramedic class, and we were called to pick up this patient and take him from one hospital three hours north to, to uh, Cleveland to a psych facility. So, well, he was just crazy. I've never seen a crazy man eat through leather restraints. I have seen one man do it. It took, this man was smaller than George, gorgeous George, but it took seven cops to restrain him. He wasn't on any medications, and he had already been given enough tranquilizer, enough medication that would knock down a horse. They couldn't understand it. 
the, the cops were terrified of him. They, they, put, they finally got him in the leather restraints. He's, he's on that bed. They got one arm restrained here, one arm restrained here. His legs restrained, and they thought they were all set. They all got back and they <sighs> relaxed, covered in sweat. Several had scratches, some black eyes and some other things. And then he smiled, and he bent over, and he took a bite of that leather, and he ripped it out and spit it out. And he bent over. He was about halfway through before they got the handcuffs out. They ended up handcuffing one arm back here and one arm, so he couldn't do anything. Listen, I'm telling you, that, that wasn't natural, it wasn't normal. What was that? I believe it was demonic possession. He was too strong. It wasn't, there were no drugs in his system. I'm telling you, there was something going on with that man. And listen, it is real today. But sometimes we call it other things. I'm not saying that everybody who suffers from depression or everybody that goes through other things, I'm just saying that many times, sometimes it can be misdiagnosed. And, and that, that Satan is real, and he's really out to get our children. He's out to get us. She had a diligent spirit. She was, she had, this was a desperate situation. There was, was no, no other answer than Christ. She comes to Jesus, and she makes a, this direct statement. She says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Notice how she didn't mince words. There was no flowery statement. There was no, there was no grand, grand uh, gesture. She just came to Christ and she asked for what she needed. Many times I, I, I've noticed this, especially when, when people are praying with other people. We use big words that we typically wouldn't use. And sometimes we even do that when we're praying by ourselves. But the Bible, Jesus said, not to use vain repetition. What is vain repetition? That's when we use more words than are necessary, useless words. It, 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 means, it means that we're, we're not really praying to the Lord. Sometimes, if you, sometimes people will quote different prayers, not really praying with a, uh, whether it's a, the Lord's Prayer or, 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 or whatever it is. Uh, they're not truly praying that from the heart. Those are vain words. But other times when we make our, flower, our speech very flowery, and that's all for show. No, she didn't do any of that, or much of that anyways. There was a direct statement. Listen, when, there's, when we're in a desperate situation, and we are truly concerned about that situation, our we don't make those prayers very flowery. Why? Because they're fervent. The Bible says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The book of James tells us. And that word fervent means, uh, it uh, gives us the idea of heat, hot, and boiling water. When there's uh, something that's really heavy on our hearts, when we're, we're really praying for something, it isn't about the words. Sometimes we can't even get the words out, Right? We don't even know what to pray, but the Bible says the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit knows and takes those groanings and he brings them before the Lord. She just said, help. There have been times in my life when I've been brought to that point. Times when I didn't have anything else that I could say, there was nothing I could do. All I knew was that God was the only answer, my only hope, and I, I cried out to him. And many times it was just, See, she's in the middle of the, of the mother's greatest work. The mother's greatest work is, is, is coming to Christ for her children. 
Because she could have dressed her every morning. She could have fed her every morning, noon and night. She could have bathed her, provided for her, done all those things. But if this situation wasn't taken care of, her daughter would have been lost. We see her direct statement, also her disdain status. Verse 34 says, but he answered her not a word. Doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't Jesus, the compassionate one, the one who, 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 when anybody came to him, why would he not answer her? I think the answer is this. Two things. She is from a Gentile city. She's not a Jew. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't love Gentiles. Obviously, he does. We're all Gentiles. And I'm not saying Jesus didn't come for the Gentiles. But notice what she said. See, there was a problem with, with what she said to him. Go back up to verse 20, 22. She said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Say, so why is that a problem? That phrase, son of David, was a Jewish phrase. It was, it, it, in fact, if you, if you do a study in the, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it, it was in reference to uh, the fact of, of the, all the prophecies of the Messiah. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Yes, but he came first to the house of Israel. In fact, he says that here in a, in a moment, that he came for the, for the people of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel. When he sent the disciples out, where did he tell them to go? To the people of Israel. Now we know, we, we know that ultimately they were going to reject, uh, Israel was going to reject him, and, and God knew all that beforehand, and, and, and that the Gentiles would be saved through Jesus Christ. Uh, but, but here this woman identifies herself by her words as a Jew. See, that, that phrase was used by uh, the two blind men earlier on in the book of Matthew. Uh, they, they saw Jesus, they followed Jesus into a house, and they said, O Lord, thou son of David, have mercy upon us. And he says, do you believe I can heal you? And they said, yes. And he healed them. But here, he didn't answer her. Why? Because she wasn't being honest about who she was. And this is important for us to understand because God know, knew who she was. Jesus had every understanding of who she was. He knew where she came from. He knew what she had done. He knew who she had worshipped. He knew, he, he knew the situation already that she was bringing before him. He knew all those things. And he wanted to help. But he had to bring her to a point where she understood that she wasn't a Jew We need to be careful when we go to the Lord that we're not trying to hide who we really are. God knows you. God knows you better than you know yourself. Turn back to Psalm chapter 139 with me if you would. There is nothing that is hidden about you from the eyes of God. David here in Psalms 139. He says, O Lord, verse 1, thou hast searched me and, and known me. Thou hast knowest, thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. 
Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before. Thou hast laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I, send, if I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not, hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed or known my reins, my, my innermost person. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Do you understand what he's saying? He says, while I was in my mother's womb, after I was conceived, I was this unformed substance. I, uh, yes, all my members were written, which had yet been formed. Before I was born, before I was uh, matured in that womb, before I could even be born, you knew who I was. He didn't just write your DNA. He knew all that you would were. He knew all that you would be. David says, says, this, uh, says uh, this of David. He was a man after God's own heart. Uh, and when he was, when uh, David was anointed to be king by, by Samuel, uh, Samuel wanted to pick his older brother who was big and strong and looked like he would be a king. And God said, man looks on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart. There is nothing uh, that you can hide from God. He knows who you are. So listen, when you come to worship, you can fool me about whether you're right with the Lord. You can fool me with how much you want to be here and how much you love Christ. But God knows it. God knows the truth. Now, I'm not saying you're here trying to deceive me. I'm not saying you're here trying to deceive anybody. But there are times when we come in and our heart's not in it. Right? There are times when we pray and we're distracted. There, there are times when we come to the Lord and, and, and we're, our mind is on something else. And there are times when we come to church and, and the truth is we should be at the altar asking God to forgive us instead of pretending like there's nothing wrong. God knows your situation. God knows Everything. This woman came to him and she, she, she used words, she used phrases that the, the Jews were using and she was identifying herself as a Jew. He, listen, she was not a Jew and God knew it. Christ knew it. He knew how many hairs were on her head. Listen, I want you to understand this. That, that when Jesus became flesh, that he set aside some of his power. Uh, but I want you to understand, he still had it all. The Bible says, in him was the, dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. While there were certain things he did not do, there were certain things that he had laid aside, he humbled himself. I want you to understand, he was still God. When this woman came to him, she used this phrase, thou son of David, as if she was a Jew coming to him like other Jews had, and he knew the truth. And says he answered her not a word. We've heard her plea. We've seen the problem. But this is important. Notice the purity of her attitude. 
Go back to Matthew chapter 15. Verse 23 says, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples, notice also this before we get into the, that next, the, the next part. His disciples says, and his disciples came and besought him saying, send her away. It got even worse. Here she is, she's, she's come to the Lord, she's, 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 he's, he's called her out by not saying anything. And the disciples say, just get rid of the Lord, just tell us what to do, tell, us to go, tell her to go away. Why? They knew who she was too. And maybe they, maybe they were just responding to the fact that Jesus ignored her, and, and they thought they should, they should do it as well. But think of the, the difficulty that placed upon her. But, but in the end, what does it do? It teaches her something. Because here we see in the next verse, it says, but he, she said, they said, send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She, she begins to, he begins to, to teach her something, to open up her eyes. And, and it, says, it says, then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. What, what, what's happened here? She's understood that she, he knows that she's a Gentile. That he's come to, to the house of Israel. And now she does something that she didn't do in the first place. So she came and she worshipped him. Now that does not mean she came and started playing, grabbing a guitar and started singing worship songs. They didn't do that back then. What it means is she literally came and she fell down at his feet. She humbled herself. Listen, we need to humble ourselves when we come before the Lord. If we're going to seek God to do something, listen, we can't demand him to do something. We're asking him to do something. Now, we are told by, by, in the book of Hebrews that we can come boldly into the throne of grace. But that is permission that's been given to us. It's not something that we've taken. She comes and she worships him. And notice how she rephrases her question. She doesn't say, thou son of David. She just says, Lord, help me. The word Lord means master. She's, she's no longer saying who, uh, who she is, but she understands he is the master, the Lord. And she says, I can remember when my wife got pregnant with Elijah. We were ecstatic. It was an answer to prayer. She showed up at the fire department. We had been trying for two plus years to, get, to have a baby. And the doctors had told us it wasn't going to happen. And uh, she called me from work. She goes, are you at work? Are, 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 are you there? Because I want to come over. I'm like, are you, are, you, are, you, are you pregnant? She's like, do you want me to tell you now or do you want me to tell you what face to face? I'm like, just come. <laughs> and she, she came and, and we went out the, and sat, uh, sat on the, uh, the bumper of the, of the, one of the, the, of the engine and, and she, she told me, I'm pregnant. And man, we rejoiced. We were so excited. God had answered our prayer. We were, uh, he, we were going to have a little boy. And then I remember the phone call. It came four months later. I was driving an ambulance back from Lewiston or Portland. I had, we'd just gone, or no, I was on the way down to Portland with a patient, sorry. And uh, uh, the, there was, uh, the, the, the person in the back was, being, was treating the other one. I, this was before driving with phones was illegal, don't worry. Uh, it, I'm not saying it was anything safer, but it, was, it wasn't illegal. And, and so I got, I got this phone call, and she says, she says, I was at work, and I started bleeding, and, and she goes, I'm in the ER. And listen, there was nothing I could do. 
It wasn't like I could turn the ambulance around with the sick guy having a heart attack and take him back to Augusta and say, I'm sorry, buddy, but I've got something, someplace I've got to go. It doesn't work that way. So I, I got on the phone, and I, I called Pastor Williams, and I said, I said, Pastor, can you go sit with my wife? He said, yes. And I drove really fast the rest of the way to Portland. And then I drove really fast on the way back to Augusta. And I got there, and I walked through the door, and, and it was there for just a few minutes before, before the doctors came in and said, listen, it was good that you came in. There's nothing that we can do. We're going to send you for an ultrasound. Uh, you're either having a miscarriage or you're not. It looks like you're having a miscarriage. Heartbroken. Terrified. My wife said, why would God do this? And listen, any, any mother or anybody who's ever wanted to be a mother knows that feeling. And listen, it is hard. We prayed. And they took us in to do the ultrasound, and all I could do was say, Lord, help. Listen, there weren't any flowery words. It wasn't, Lord, I, I've already given my, myself to follow you, Lord. I, 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 I want to be a preacher. I want to, listen, I, there was none of that. My, poor, my priority was, Lord, help. And what a blessing it was to see that heartbeat still there. And then have them say, we won't know for a few days. <laughs> I want you, what, what I'm trying to get you to understand is, is this, that when I cried out to God, I wasn't trying to make my status known. I wasn't trying to build myself up to be heard. I wasn't, I was just crying out for help. The truth is, that's what prayer is. You know who identifies themselves and lifts them up in the Bible? Lifts themselves up in the Bible? They're called Pharisees, and they're called hypocrites. Remember the parable of, of Jesus and the uh, not Je- the parable that Jesus gave of, of the, the Pharisee and the, 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 the publican, the tax collector. Tax collectors were hated by everybody. They they sold out their people to, to the, the peop- to, to the Roman government. They were collecting money for the, the Roman government and, and cashing in on that themselves. Man, they were hated by everybody. But Jesus gives this parable of the of the of the Pharisee and the publican, and the Pharisee says he stands there in the temple and he looks at the, the at this publican and he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that publican publican over here. I, I pray every day. I do all these things. I, I, I Thank you for not letting me be like that guy. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. But the Bible says, or Jesus said, the publican couldn't even lift up his eyes into heaven. And he beat himself in the chest. He says, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus asked the question, who went home justified? Not the one who justified himself. Is one who just cried out for mercy. Listen, when we cry out to God, whether it's on our own behalf or whether it's on the behalf of our children, we need to humble ourselves and understand that God is the only one. And we need to seek God's help. She was praying for her child. She says, Lord, help me. Jesus goes on to say, verse 26, it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. 
It sounds like a harsh saying. That Jesus is calling her a dog. And in, in a way, he's using that for illustration to help her understand that, again, reminding her that he was there for the people of Israel. He, the Bible says he came into his own, right? But then it goes on to say, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Thankful for that verse. Thankful that he didn't just come for the people of Israel. But here, before his crucifixion, here he was still focused upon the people of Israel. And he says, he says the, 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 the children's table, it's not meat, to, or, or, or it's not, he's not worthy to take the, the children's meat from off of the table to feed the dogs. We feed our kids every day. My wife feeds our dog off our table. It drives me crazy. It's not meat to feed the dog off the table. She'll remind me of the next verse where the woman says, but the, the dogs receive of the crumbs from the table. He gives her, the, he's, he's, again, he's, he's, he's teaching her something here. And I want you to notice she has a, a, a teachable demeanor. Because he, he tells her this. He, sa he, says, he says in verse 26, uh, it is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, truth, Lord. She says, you're right. Says, you're right. We need a teachable demeanor. When God speaks to us, when God humbles us, when God convicts us, when God challenges us, we need to have a teachable spirit. It's funny, there are people that you can't teach anything. Have you ever met somebody like that? They, they, got, they know all the answers. As, 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 as mankind, we need to understand that we don't have all the answers. We may hold all the answers, but the Spirit of God is the one who teaches us those things. She, she, was, she had a teachable demeanor, no sort of tenacious determination there. She said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She would not give up. And listen, as, as we're praying for our children, guess what? Don't give up. Don't give up. Listen, st start when they're young. Zeke is six years old. You know when I started praying for Zeke? When he was about two months old in the belly. He's six, he's six years and six and nine months. As soon as we found out that my wife was pregnant with our fourth, uh, we began to pray for him. I began to pray for him. I began to seek God's help in, in bringing him into this world. I began to seek God's help in, in teaching him and training him, and not just for him, but for all of our, all of our kids. It, it, it begins then, but guess what? guess what? It doesn't end when they're born, and it doesn't end when they learn how to talk. It doesn't end when they go to school. It, doesn't, listen, it never ends. Because guess what? You're always going to be the mom or the dad. And the greatest work that you can do for that child, no matter, no matter their spiritual walk, whether they're saved or they're not saved, and listen, they need to be prayed for. You could think that kid is good and he's all set. Guess what? The greatest work that you have for that child is still to pray for. Still. And listen, if they walk away from the faith, if, if they never got saved, and you wash them, and then you're hurting, and you're broken about the choices that they're making, and the, the sin that they're living in, guess what? The greatest thing you can do for that child is to pray, because there's nothing you can do to change it yourself. 
You can, listen, you can, you can confront your child in their sin and say, listen, I'm older than you, I'm wiser than you, I've got the answer. Listen, you, we all know that when a kid is between the ages of 13 and 19, they think they have all the answers, right? There's nothing that you can tell them. They, they've already got it. And then as they get a little bit older, they realize that you were a little bit smarter than they thought. And then they get to be my age, and they realize that you're a whole lot smarter than you, they thought. But you can confront somebody, not just our kids, but you can confront your kids, and they're not going to respond to it. And even if they do respond to it and change the way they're living, it doesn't change the inside. You know what changes the inside? The Spirit of God and the Word of God. And you can't do that. Now, we're to teach it. We're to live it. We're to be that example. We're to take them to church. We're to teach them to do those things that are good and say, well, I'm just going to let my child decide for themselves. You've already let them decide. How many of you let your child decide whether or not they want to brush their teeth or eat broccoli? None of you did that because it's good for them. Guess what? Taking them to church and teaching them how to read the Bible and how to pray, that's good for them too. You're not forcing something down in their throat. You're teaching them something that's good. And prayerfully, the Spirit of God will work in their heart. They'll, 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 they'll open their eyes to the understanding of the gospel, and they'll get saved, and they'll grow in the Word. But it's your job as a parent and my job as a parent to teach them those things. It is not our Sunday school's job to teach our children. It's our Sunday school's, our Sunday school's job to reinforce what they're taught at home. Having a, having a child in Sunday school for an hour once a week will not erase all the damage that's done by, by, by the world the rest of the week. And listen, let's remember who had hold of this, this woman's daughter? A devil. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rules of darkness. It's a, it's, it's a spiritual warfare. The Bible says that uh, we have an adversary, the devil, who walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He has a, des a desire and the power to get our kids. And listen, he's not some boogeyman hiding in the, in the closet. He's, he's not some guy hiding in the shadows out there that, that you, you're never going to he is He is currently, actively, through our culture, through the television, through, our, through the school system, through every system out there, trying to get our kids. This, this, we need to open up our eyes to the understanding that this, this, this worldview that, the, that our world has is, is, is against God. They're actively teaching our children. I'm trying not to be political. I'm trying to be biblical. I want to be political. But it's not about politics. Let's just be honest. Our world is ruled by Satan. And we need to understand that and be aware of that. And listen, you can't fight that battle just by reading them the Bible or bringing them to church. You know where you fight your spiritual battles? Ephesians chapter 6, God gives us the spiritual armor. Breastplate of righteousness, loins girt about with truth, helmet of salvation, 
feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he says, praying always. You know how you fight your battles? On your knees. The rest of the stuff, that's to protect you from the attacks of Satan. You, you go active in that battle on your knees. John R. Rice says this, uh, said this, that, that every battle that's lost is lost on our knees. Because you and I can't do it. In fact, Jesus, Paul said, in the power of his might. We can't fight in our own power, our own strength. We need the strength of God to help us. So here, she has a teachable de- demeanor. She's uh, this tenacious determination. She's not going to, to give up. Uh, she, she, she comes to him and she, she says, truth, Lord. Uh, but, but even the dogs eat uh, from the crumbs of the table. And, and listen, uh, if, we're, if we're honest, even the crumbs, uh, the, the, those, the small things of God that wor- as he works, uh, that's enough to satisfy us. It is. Think of all the provision that God has and all that God could do. And all that God already does is only what he does for us that will truly satisfy and will truly help. Verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole talked about the, her priority and her plea, her problem and the purity of her attitude. Look at the provision of the Almighty. First of all, we see this, this commendation that, that, that she's given. She says, he says, oh woman, great is thy faith. Listen, I, I said before that, that we're, we're going to talk about the, the greatest work of mothers, uh, which is the work of prayer for their children. Uh, it should be prioritized, by the way, uh, over everything else. Now, I'm not saying don't do everything else. I'm saying that before you feed your kids, before you dress your kids, make sure that you pray for your kids. Don't do one and not the other. They need, they need breakfast. They need lunch. They need dinner. They need to be dressed. They need to be washed. They need to be well taken care of. But listen, we need to spend time in prayer over our kids. We, we talked about that priority. We talked about uh, all those things. But, but, but he says, woman, great is thy faith. Not only did she pray, but her greatest asset was her faith. Great is thy faith. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Peter stepped out and walked on water. Yes, he sunk, but all the other guys were still in the boat. And we think of walking on the, of, of following Christ into some miracle as some great thing of faith. But listen, Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith. This woman uh, who's not a, a Jew, she's a Gentile. This woman who, who, who doesn't know Christ, who, who, who's not been given the promise of the Messiah, she's come to him and said, Lord, help me. And he says, oh, woman, great is thy faith. Her greatest asset was her faith that God could do something. The greatest asset that you have is that God can work in your, in your life, that God can reach your kids, that God can, can, can get a hold of and bring your kids back. It breaks my heart to see kids walk away from, the faith, from church. Statistically, 60 to 70% of kids, when they graduate high school, and they, they leave home and go to college, they never go back to church again. And we've seen that happen here. 
And listen, every, I, I look back to when I was, it's not just a new thing, it's been going on for years. I look back to when I was a, a, a teenager, and I, I think of the kids that, that, uh, that were in my Sunday school or my teen group, and, and I, I, I think of it, and I, I, I can count on one hand the number of kids that are still in church. What happened? The parents' faith didn't become their own. And that's a choice that they made. Uh, don't, don't misunderstand me. It's not your job to make your kids saved. They have to come to faith. But do you know the best thing you can do to do that, make that happen? Pray. Because <laughs> it's God that does the work in their heart. And pray in faith. They give an inspirational commendation. Notice what he says next. He says, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. Is that thing what you're asking for? Let it be done. How would the world be different? How would our kids be different if our prayers were answered? We know that Christ is the only real answer. And I'm not saying that we should force it down their throat at all. Teach it, live it. But the only one that can do the work in our kids, whether they're six years old or 60 years old, is the work of God. But God tells us we're to pray in faith, nothing wavering. It describes a man who wavers in, in, whether, in, in whether or not God will answer as a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, like a, a ship on the, on the sea tossed to and fro by the wind. The, the winds drive him every which direction it goes. How's your faith? See, it is our faith that God sees, and when we pray, he answers. He said, as thou wilt, because of our faith, as thou wilt, so be it. And we see the incredible cure that says she was healed from that very hour. The book of Mark says that she goes home and she finds her healed in the bed. What joy there is in that. What, what, what joy there is in, in seeing God do a work that she could not do herself. Uh, uh, she's done everything she could to, to try to, to fix it, but she, but she finally came to Christ. And, and, and Christ healed her daughter. Her greatest work and her greatest asset, prayer and faith. Moms and dads, by the way, your greatest work in your kid's life is the prayer that you put into their life. As you bring them before the Lord uh, on a daily basis, not just when there's a problem. See, uh, that's one of the problems we have as, 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 as Christians, that we pray uh, when there's a problem. Pray before there's a problem. My, my, Zeke is six years old. Guess who I'm praying for? Not just Zeke, I'm praying for his wife someday. For two reasons. One, I hope he has a godly one. Two, she's going to need prayer. <laughs> I'm praying that God provides just the right, just the right woman, and say, "Well, there is no 
God's in control. But I bring it before the Lord. I'm, he, he's six. He's not saved yet. I'm praying for his salvation. I don't have to pray till he, he, he's locked in his bedroom and, and playing loud rock music and painting his fingernails black and, and thinking about killing himself before I have to pray for him. I'm praying for him now. Our kids need us to pray, not before they're in trouble. Because Satan's already trying to get his tentacles in and, and his hooks in and, and to pull them away. And listen, the only thing that we can do to battle that is prayer. Our greatest work is prayer. And our greatest asset is our faith. Because if we don't have faith, guess what will happen? We'll start to pray. But then we'll doubt. We'll waver. Or we'll stop altogether. Notice this woman, even though Jesus didn't answer her first, even though he said, he, he, he used the illustration of a dog eating the crumbs from the table, he, 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 even though he did all that, she never stopped. You know why? Because she had faith that he could do it. Don't give up faith that God can get a hold of your kids. Your kids are your kids are away from the Lord. If your kids are uh, are unsaved, uh, whether no, no matter their age, don't give up hope. The greatest hope are your prayers. This woman, she was unnamed. Mark calls her a Syrophoenician woman. She's not exalted. She's not lifted up. In name. But she's commended for her faith. And her prayers are answered. May God help us to have that same tenacity, that same desire for our children, the same prayer life, and the same faith. Father God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray, Lord, that you would just work in our hearts. Lord, we need you. I pray that you'd have your way. Lord, help us to have stronger prayer lives and stronger faith. I pray for our kids. Not just mine, but all of our kids, Lord, that you would do a work in their lives. Lord, that if they're not saved, that they would get saved. That they would under see and understand the truth of the word of God, the truth of the gospel. Lord, it wouldn't be something that, that they're just taught and then untaught later. But that something that they come to believe by faith because the spirit of God has opened their eyes to it. I pray, Lord, for those that have walked away, Lord, that you help us to keep praying, Lord, and keep trusting. Lord, help us to see you do a work that only you can do. Lord, I'm here because people were praying for me. Yes, you're, you, you showed your mercy, and yes, you did a work in me, but God, I believe it was done not just because of me, but not just because of your love of me, but also, Lord, I believe it happened because there were people praying. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be praying and keep praying. Jesus in Christ's name. Amen.